Hey everyone, it's Chad. Welcome back to Mission Daily. We have a giveaway for everyone that enters. You can win a prize at mission.org slash books. Steph, what can people win? Books that you love. Do you want to read like a CEO? Chad has a bookshelf that probably has, I was actually calculating in my head how much you've probably spent on books because there's so many in our studio. I'd say there's probably 500 here. So a fraction. You, this is, you don't even know about the hidden libraries oh, I have stored oh in my parents' garage. Oh, I forgot about that. Well, anyways, it's called Read Like a CEO because we are taking books off of Chad's bookshelf and we are putting it in a giveaway. Books are the best investment in yourself. And the reason why we wanted to do this giveaway, I recently started paying myself a salary. Yay, woo! And which is a major milestone. And I wanted to immediately give back to everyone out there that's listening that has helped us get where we're at. And it's really exciting. So this is my way of saying thank you to the listeners. So at mission.org slash books, uh, I picked out a number of books from my bookshelf and the top 30 people who enter. And you can see how to get more entries, all that stuff at mission.org slash books. Uh, but the top 30 people who enter get to pick one book from this list and I'll mail you a physical copy. I'll buy it. The next 15 get three books. So if you're in the top 15, you get three books from the list, your picks. And if you're in the top five, you get five books each. So this is pretty cool. And you can get more entries for every single email uh, subscriber you refer. Yep. And stay tuned for the next little ad segment because we will tell you why Chad picked some of these books oh, to get you excited. And mission.org slash books, go there, enter. And everyone who enters is going to get a copy of 100 Business Ideas. That's an ebook we created with 100 ideas to start making more money and yeah, maybe even start a business uh, this weekend. Yep. So enter the giveaway and good luck. May good. the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm Jeffrey Wright, and you're listening to Mission Daily. Selected as best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Welcome back to Mission Daily. Today's interview is with Eli Hassenfeld. Eli is the co-founder and executive director of GiveWell. GiveWell is a nonprofit that helps you figure out where are the best places to donate charity-wise. Are there groups in the world that are doing a phenomenal job of deploying resources and really valuing the donations that they get from other people? And the answer is yes. GiveWell has found a number of different charities and their process behind this is fascinating. So if you're interested in learning about how you can do more with your charity dollars. This is a great episode and Eli is accomplishing something that is really important in the world. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Mission Daily, everyone. Today's guest is Ellie Hassenfield, the co-founder and executive director of GiveWell. Ellie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're calling in from San Francisco. Where, where are your offices at and where are you at right now? Uh, downtown San Francisco, right near the Ferry Building. Okay, cool. And uh, tell us a little bit about GiveWell. GiveWell's mission is to find outstanding charities and then publish the full details of our analysis to help donors decide where to give. And so where a lot of other organizations rate charities based on their overhead, so how much they spend on administration and finance relative to program expenses, GiveWell tries to estimate the amount of good that each organization does with each dollar it receives 
And we recommend a very short list of organizations that we think have very high impact per dollar given. So how do you define that and what goes into creating that, uh, that new type of measure of effectiveness? Yeah, so it's a lot. It's very challenging. We're looking at things like how many deaths does an organization avert? So how many lives does it save for each dollar it spends? Um, how much does it increase someone's income for each dollar it spends? The organizations that we review and recommend work overseas. So they try to help people in some of the poorest parts of the world. And they're aiming to improve people's well-being or their health as measured by the outcomes that I described. And so what we look for is uh, organizations that can demonstrate that their programs are having a significant impact on those measures. And we're often looking at independent academic information. So information that has very little to do with a specific charity, but evaluates whether a particular type of program works. So for example, if you distribute malaria nets that protect against the mosquitoes that transmit malaria, how many nets do you have to distribute to expect that you'll end up preventing a certain number of cases and ultimately saving a certain number of lives of children from malaria? So you weren't always doing this type of work. When did the idea first form for GiveWell? And what was that uh, the origin story of the company? And what were you doing before? Yeah, totally. Uh, after college, I went to work at a hedge fund. And after being there for a couple of years, a few friends and I realized that we were making more money than we needed to just pay the bills. I and mean, we were young, we weren't making a ton of money, but we wanted to give back. And so we got together uh, for lunch one day back in July 2006. And we said, hey, it's coming to the end. It comes into the end of the year. Let's try to figure out where we could give to charity to have a lot of impact. And uh, a group of eight of us at the fund started working together to try to figure out where we might give. And as we started doing research, we realized very quickly that the type of information we expected did not exist. So we went to Charity Navigator, which is still a well-known site that rates charities, and it provides information on how much organizations spend on overhead versus how much they spend on operations. And we said, you know, that's, that's really great because it can help us find some organizations that if they're paying their CEO 90% of the money they bring in, well, it's probably a scam. But it wasn't helping us answer the question we had, which is how much good do they do? So I personally back then was really interested in the cause of clean water in Africa. And I just wanted to know, if you give an organization $1,000, how many wells are they gonna dig? And are those wells going to remain in good condition five years down the line? Will the water stay clean? And if it does, what does that mean for people's health? And those were the types of questions that we couldn't find answers to. So imagine an organization that spends nearly all its money digging wells, but if all of those wells break down after a year, well then your donation hasn't done a whole lot of good. Uh, so as part of that, we tried calling charities up directly and I'd ask them these questions. And they'd say, $20 provides a child water for life. And I'd say, that's, that's great. That sounds amazing. And what exactly does that mean? And where would my money go? And at that point, they just didn't have answers to the questions that we were asking. And so after doing this for six months part-time, while I was still working in, in finance, my friend Holden Karnofsky and I decided to uh, leave our, our jobs and start GiveWell as a full-time project. And the basic thing we realized is that, you know, we knew from personal experience trying to give money away while working in the private sector, that answers to the questions we had just weren't available. And it wasn't going to be a part-time job to find the answers. 
We also learned that individual donors like us give about 75% of philanthropy in the United States. So big donors, Bill Gates, they get a lot of attention, but they only make up a really small slice of the overall mm. pie. And it's small donors like us, all of us, that collectively give so much. And we knew how little information was available to them. And so we created GiveWell to just be the type of resource that we were looking for when we were in the private sector. That's so cool. So there's an interesting paper about philanthropy that was co-authored by uh, Dr. Alex Karp, uh, the CEO of Palantir, back in 2003, I think. And in the paper, he just outlines the fact that those donors that you're talking about that are American, upper middle class, some of them are independently wealthy, compromise a huge portion of giving throughout the world. So I think harnessing that amount of giving that happens every single year and uh, helping better direct it is an incredible mission that's really inspiring. I would love for you to talk about how you see that giving and where's it going to go in the future? Do you think that Americans are just now starting to explore the idea of philanthropy? Do you think that it's um, a trend that's going to continue? Where do you see it going from here? It's certainly an area, uh, the area of, of, let's say, effective giving. That's getting a lot more attention today than it was 10 years ago. And we were not the people who came up with this idea. I mean, this is an idea that people have talked about for a very long time. But with, with technology, with more information being available on the internet, and with this boom in wealth at the top end, certainly in, in the U.S., I think there's a big opportunity for donors of all sizes, whether they're very small donors or donors who are working in tech, just normal people who want to give back, all the way up to the, the very largest donors have a real opportunity to use better information, better evidence to make really great decisions about where to give. And the potential impacts of doing that are so large. Uh, so, you know, our best estimate is that in expectation, it costs less than $3,000 to save a person's life if you give to some of the organizations that we recommend. And, and to me, that's just such a huge opportunity to use some of the, the wealth that we collectively have to make a big difference in the world. Very cool. Okay, so let's segue into a challenging conversation, which I would love to hear some candid stories from you about the best charities that you've uncovered. So the best of the best where you're like, I had no idea that these uh, that saints really existed type thing, or the worst of the worst where it's a clear scam where the CEO is taking in, you mentioned like 90% of operating costs because we've all probably encountered both of those at some point in our lives. And we know how horrible it feels to encounter the type of charity that's, you know, taking as much money as they, they can. And we know how wonderful it feels to encounter the best of the best. So if you could share maybe some stories about both, you can feel free to anonymize them, but I would love to hear your take on that. Well, I mean, first off, I mean, we, you know, I don't have any great stories about scams and it's just because we don't spend our time on them. You know, we're looking for the top 1% of organizations, gotcha. Very cool. even a small, smaller than that, the top one tenth of 1%. And so we'll send someone an email and ask them some questions that they have to be able to answer about their program. And these are the types of questions that the, the scammers are never going to respond to. So the, gotcha. by the time, you know, by the time GiveWell has spent a few hours with us, we're all, you know, we, by the time an organization has spent a few hours with GiveWell, they've already passed that, that benchmark for good people who have good intentions. And I think, I think what, what we do, I think the surprising thing for people is that, you know, the best organizations I've seen, I don't think they're necessarily the saints who have the best intentions. They're just thoughtful. They're very competent. For lack of a better way of putting it, maybe they're scientifically minded, which means mm -hmm. they know they might be wrong. They try to set up ways to figure out whether or not the programs they're implementing are working. Sometimes those programs work and they do more of it. 
Sometimes they fail and they adjust. So an organization that we recommend right now is called Malaria Consortium, and it runs a program that's going to sound very technical. It's called Seasonal Malaria Chemo Prevention, and it means that they give children malaria treatment drugs as a preventative measure before they even get malaria, during the high season, the rainy season for malaria in parts of Africa. And, you know, this program is very cheap to deliver. But what makes it so outstanding is that the program, so, so the first question is, if you give out these drugs, do you actually prevent people from getting malaria? And in the last 10 years, this program was subject to multiple randomized controlled trials. You know, that's the, the standard of evidence that's used in medical science to say, does this program truly have the effect? So they take one group of people, they don't give them anything and another group of people and they give them this drug. And then they see how are malaria cases different in each of the two groups. And you can be reasonably confident that the only difference between these two groups is which one got the drug. Uh, so you have the first, the question is, does this program actually make a difference? And subjecting it to that level of scrutiny can give you a lot of confidence that it's having an impact. The next thing is just the organization is really competent. It takes money, it uses it well, and it has monitoring in place to see whether or not they're actually covering the children that they're trying to with the drugs that they're distributing. And as boring as it sounds, that's what makes an exceptional organization because they're competently delivering a cheap program that has big impact cost effectively. So I'm really curious, what are the commonalities or what are the shared backgrounds and experiences of some of the best founders and executives of the high-performing or really effective charities? Any, any common trends you've seen there? I mean, I think it's uh, very much that scientific mindset, you know, being willing to identify and admit failure and mm -hmm. adjust and fix mistakes. And, you know, this can be really hard in philanthropy. And it's, it's probably the, the thing that's hardest about being effective in philanthropy. And that's the, the customer in a certain sense is the beneficiary. It's the person whom you're trying to help, who is, you know, maybe living thousands of miles away. But the person who pays the nonprofit's costs is a donor, and they're not the beneficiary. They're someone who's sitting here in San Francisco, maybe, who is donating. And the disconnect between the person who's actually served by the organization's services and the person who is paying for those services makes effective operation in philanthropy really challenging. In a for-profit business, your customer is both evaluating the quality of your product and paying for it. And if they don't like it, they won't buy it. You're interfacing directly with them and you can get feedback. And so I think some of the best founders recognize this and are doing everything they can to hear from beneficiaries about how the program is going, what they like and don't like, and ultimately, is the program achieving its desired objectives? So that could be increasing income or improving health or something else. And do you find that the founders or execs have experience in the private sector or what's the case there? It varies a lot. Uh, so when we look across our current top charities list, we have a very short list. So we only recommend eight organizations today. And the experience of the people running those organizations runs the gamut from researchers in academia uh, focused on international aid, to people who've worked in the nonprofit sector, uh, to people who've come out of a more standard private sector background. So, you know, management, consulting, finance, and business school. And I think it, to me, it, it, the, the commonality is that acceptance and that desire, acceptance of potential failure and desire to do things best without having that direct mechanical connection between the beneficiary and the bottom line for the charitable organization.
Very cool. And so out of those, which is a very small number, that's pretty surprising to hear, out of the small number of charities that your team has said, okay, these are incredible, this is a really high ROI place to deploy your money, what are some of the examples of those charities that you're especially excited about? You mentioned some of the uh, malaria-focused ones. Um, Are there any others that are kind of like a surprise for people when they hear about them? Yeah, so uh, there's a whole handful. I mean, one of the most surprising ones is also the simplest form of charity. Uh, So it's an organization called Give Directly. And they just give cash directly to poor people. And they say, spend this money however you want. And I think for a lot of people, that's surprising because they say, do we really expect people to spend money wisely if you give them so much? This is not something we're in the habit of doing here. You know, you wouldn't walk on the street and hand someone $1,000 and expect that it's going to be the most effective thing or one of the most effective things you can do. Um, But research shows that people who receive this type of big cash infusion in low and middle income countries tend to use it on productive activities, so food or education for their families, investment so they can increase their incomes down the line, and they tend not to spend the money on so-called temptation goods like alcohol or tobacco. And so this cash transfers, direct cash transfers, tends to be one of the the most effective things that someone can give to. A couple other ones that people probably have not heard of is a program called deworming. And this is treating kids for parasitic infections. And for a long time, these infections were highly neglected because they don't kill you. They don't lead to obvious physical manifestations of debilitating symptoms. Instead, we believe they have a somewhat low level latent impact on people in a way that, you know, if they are cleared, could significantly increase kids' development into adulthood. Um, And then the the final category is um, a program that delivers vitamin A supplementation to very young children. And again, this is a program that's been studied by multiple randomized controlled trials. These are areas where vitamin A deficiency can be very high due to poor nutrition. And this has a significant impact on child mortality, meaning it reduces the deaths of children under five. That's really, really exciting to hear. And those, are, those all seem like uh, very smart efforts. How did, you, how did you get involved with effective altruism or when did that interest start for you? Uh, so I think for me, my interest in charity really came from trying to figure out where I would give. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in 2006, this was before the, there, there was a movement and a term coined effective altruism. And, and I think it's really exciting today that there's a much larger movement than there was way back then of people who are saying, we want to give as effectively as possible. And there's debates about where they can give. And and that sort of debate is, I think what's ultimately going to be best for philanthropy to have people trying to figure out and argue with each other about where they should give. Uh, And then there's others who are talking about how can we use our careers to have the greatest impact. And that that line of thought, that community that's building up around these ideas is an incredibly exciting one because it just adds to the overall, the overall power that is being brought to bear on trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. So the future of charitable giving is here is give well. That's, that's super exciting. But what would you say to someone that says that this is really exciting. It's an awesome mission. You're doing well, but where are you going to go in 10 years? How are you going to expand the program? What, or do you want to expand it? What's your answer there? Yeah, I mean, so we see a lot of room for growth. Um, You know, GiveWell's first 10 years, we focused heavily on the most measurable, quantifiable charitable activities. And so the organizations I've been describing are just delivering health commodities, by and large, to people who really need them. You know, what what we see are big opportunities for potentially 
having more impact per dollar if we look at areas where people are trying to get uh, more leverage with their giving. And I'll, I'll explain what, what I mean by that. You know, we give well charities are often paying directly for the program that's implemented. So if they're trying to deliver a malaria net, the organization is often using donor funds to purchase a malaria net. But what if we could use donor funds to try and increase the effectiveness of some of the biggest government donors, the US government or the UK government and how they spend money? Or you know, what if you can encourage others to come in and give additional money to these causes? Similarly, there are areas where you, know, you can't directly pay for it. So for example, we know that regulations around tobacco smoking have had a significant impact on the number of people who smoke. And around the world, this has had a significant increase, a significant public health benefit in reducing tobacco use. And so another area that you know, we plan to look into in the future is the area of public health regulation, looking for places where the right kind of government inter intervention could at relatively low cost potentially have significant impact. And over the long run, our hope is to more systematically cover the whole space of international giving to try and have a better handle on how all different types of opportunities compare to one another so that we can make the best recommendations possible to donors of all size. Then on the flip side, that, that's one big area of GiveWell's growth is on the research side. So that's trying to figure out where to give. The other big area where we're just starting to build up our team is on the outreach side. Today, most of GiveWell's team has been focused on the research side and we haven't yet built up a, an outreach and marketing function where we're trying to reach more people and try to get them on board with, help them understand, help them take the same journey that we've taken in trying to use our time, our money, our energy to try and solve some of the world's biggest problems. And we're trying to figure out how we can use what we've learned to try and reach more people and ultimately direct even more funding to the organizations that we recommend. Very cool. And what's the progress or what's the status on connecting with different state or federal people who are responsible for giving or charity type work? And also, we might as well add in any progress in talking to religious leaders because so many different churches and groups are big donors of charity. I see those as being like three really large institutions. How do you think about trying to sway some of those really large amounts of capital? And so I think both religious institutions and also government institutions are potential customers of, of GiveWell's research. And I think what we need to do is figure out how the research product that we created largely for people who are just like me, individuals working in the private sector, finance, maybe tech, trying to figure out where to give. That's what GiveWell built up around, trying to serve that type of individual. And the needs of government actors, of institutions, even uh, large charitable foundations, they can all be quite different. And so we're, you know, we're at a stage where GiveWell has really developed a research process that leads to great recommendations. But in many ways, to these questions, we're, we're back at the starting point again, where uh, the marketing side of GiveWell is itself a new entity where we have to experiment, we have to figure out how to take the product that we have or how we have to change it to make it useful to donors who are not in exactly the same type of situation that most of GiveWell's donors are in. And so importantly, you know, most of the people who use GiveWell's research tend to be very quantitative minded. So they really love the quantification that we do. They have limited time. 
So they're working in a job, they're working hard, and that's how they spend most of their time. They don't have the capacity to take on a big research project on the side. And then they tend to be fairly open-minded. You know, if someone, GiveWell's organizations, the, the ones we recommend, they work in low and middle income countries, they're overseas. And so when someone comes to us and says, I'm really interested in local giving, you know, that's fine, but that's not, we, we don't help them with that. That's not our thing. And so as we go and look at some of these other types of institutions, they have a different focuses than the donors we've served to date. They often have existing research staffs that they can rely on. They have particular areas where they want to focus in. And so therefore we have to find a better way to use our capabilities where I think we've built up an expertise in parts of the domains that we look at to help them do more of what they want to do well. And that's an interesting intellectual challenge that we're grappling with right now. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a big challenge, um, but wish you the best of luck on that because that's going to be a, a high leverage thing for sure. So Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. What is the final thought that you would leave all our listeners with who say, I want to donate more or I want to adjust my donations and start to check out the charities I'm currently giving to, where should they think about deploying their money? There's three really important things that I think people should keep in mind. The first is by giving, you can have a massive impact. I think most people think about charity. And I know I did before I got involved in it as something that people did on the side, kind of a soft thing, you know, it wasn't really the thing for me. And as I learned more, I got so excited about it because you can really make a huge difference. And if you bring the right rigor to the table, then you can find organizations that can have this significant impact. So something like saving a life for a few thousand dollars, which if you think about what that means, can have a massive impact on the world. Uh, the second big thing is that it's not easy. Uh, charities tell great stories. So remember my little story, $20 saves, provides a child water for life. That sounds amazing, but what underlies it often doesn't match the claim. And so it takes a lot of effort to figure out which organizations are the right ones to give to. And I think the results of research can often be surprising. So many programs don't have any impact at all. And I think that's not the sort of thing that most donors would initially think of when they engage with charity because they'd assume that great charities are doing what they say they are. And this is not because of bad intentions. I think the people are well-intentioned. It's just hard. It's just hard to do it yeah. well. And then the final thing is there's just a lot of normal people out there who are giving a decent chunk of their earnings to charity. You know, we're not talking about, this is not the, the world of the Bill Gateses. They're not the only big donors. People who are, you know, giving 5%, 2%, 10% of their salaries are having this impact. It's, it's just like normal people like you and me who are giving to charity. And I think that that is, is worth knowing because I think the larger this community gets, the more impact it has. I mean, in terms of where to turn, I mean, GiveWell is helpful for, for some people. And certainly if folks reach out to us, we're happy to try and help them in whatever way we can, in, in either with the research we've done or in directing them to other places that can be helpful given their interests and goals. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. 
Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.